Athletic Brewing. I cracked open an Upside Dawn Golden Athletic Brew. And let me say this. No matter what you're looking for in a great non-alcoholic beer, the answer is always athletic. Great flavor? It's athletic. Award-winning styles? It's athletic. Huge variety? It's athletic. Fit for all times. That's a registered trademark, guys. Enjoy them anytime, anywhere, without ever slowing down your summer. Beach days, music festivals, swim meets, camping, late nights, early mornings, literally wherever summer takes you. And here's the best part to me, zero hangovers the next day. Mm -hmm. This summer, ask for the only non-alcoholic beer or brew you need to know. Athletic. Head to askforathletic.com to find it near you and use code TA2024 to get 15% off your first online order. That's code TA2024 at checkout for 15% off your first order. Near beer. Exclusions and conditions apply. Athletic Brewing Company. Fit for all times. Welcome to the Saturday Slammin' Jam. Hosted by Andrew Schlicht with Alex Spears. How about we can just watch basketball? That's a man's jam! I like that idea. Live from Oklahoma. With questions and participants from all around the world. Anthony Edwards! Put that on a poster! Whether you're flipping your flapjacks, tending to your yard, or just sipping your coffee, get ready, sit back, relax. It's the Saturday Slammin' Jam. Back is, I missed this shot, I walk away, I'm still a chump. Here's Andrew. Welcome to the Saturday Slammin' Jam. I'm your host, Andrew Schlecht. Be sure to go to theathletic.com slash NBA show and get The Athletic for $3.99 a month. Alex, the first round is almost over. We have one series that may or may not be done. We are recording on Friday afternoon, so we don't know what's going to happen. I assume we're going Game 7. I actually... Didn't really even want to make a prediction, but I'm just making a little jinx prediction there for the uh, the Clippers to win tonight. But Alex, we are going to be giving out first round awards. You want to take us through our first category? Yes. So after last night, obviously the Blazers lost, the, the Lakers lost. We had some more finality in our first round series. And so it's a good time to give out some awards, some first annual Saturday Slam and Jam first round awards and our first category Andrew is the best debut award in other words this is the best first playoff appearance and we had some great contenders for this one mine has got to be Devin Booker his stats are outrageous 29.7 points per game 6.2 rebounds 5 assists per game 48 42 93 are his shooting splits and I looked at this. So the only other player to average 29-6-5 in this current playoffs is Luka Doncic. And I, I went back five years just to see how often this even happens. In 2020, Luka was the only one last season. 2019, James Harden was the only one. 2018, LeBron and Westbrook were the only ones. 2017, LeBron and Westbrook were the only ones. And 2016, LeBron James was the only one to average 29, at least 29 points, six boards, and five assists. The only one. And then, if you put in, they also have to shoot 40% from three. It's been done once in the last five years. 
besides what Luca and Devin Booker are doing right now. Once. And the only player to ever do that was 2016 LeBron James. That's it. No one else does this. I don't know if he can continue this, but what he's done, at least to this point, has been pretty historic. Yeah, and uh, I should I should mention that me and Andrew, we both had the same categories, but we did not know who the other chose. I also chose Devin Booker, and it was close because I think you can make a case for Trey Young. Yeah. I think you can even give an honorable mention to Ja Morant. Sure. Um, Trey Young, for me, the the differentiator there is that he not just had an amazing debut, but he also introduced himself as a personality in the NBA. Because I don't think there's a lot of young guys who would have done what Trey did in MSG. (laughs) So good. In terms of like going back and forth with the fans, bowing, like doing the ice tray, all that. I thought that was really cool. But the reason that the tipping point for me with Devin Booker was one, what he did in that closeout game last night in LA, 47, 11, and three with eight three-pointers. And second of all, doing it against the defending champs, granted they were hurt, but with CP3 at less than 100%, because the narrative going into the playoffs in those last couple of weeks that was starting to bubble up from random places is, you know, is Chris Paul an MVP candidate? Right. And I, and instead, what we got in this first round was Devin Booker saying, I am the best player on this team. Like, I am the Suns. Like, yes, Chris Paul has been great, but we can still win when Chris Paul is putting up one of his worst playoff series of his career. Because remember, I went back to that 2019 round two series against Golden State mm-hmm. when that was Chris Paul's last year in Houston. That was kind of seen as like a terrible series for Chris Paul. I mean, remember, coming off of that series, they lost in that game six when Kevin Durant was hurt. It was in Houston, and they still lost. It was embarrassing. (laughs) And then the Russell Westbrook trade happens. We, as Thunder fans, depressed because it's like, Chris Paul, this guy's done. And it was based on that recent series. Well, going back, he was 17-7-6 in that series, 44% shooting, 31% from three. It wasn't great. But in this series, he was 9-4-8. 39% shooting, 20% from three. We know why he was injured. But for him to have that poor of a series and for the Suns to still look this good, like you have to give a ton of credit to Devin Booker. Big shouts to Devin Booker. All right, category two, Al. Category two. And hey, don't forget, Andrew, when we previewed that series, we said the guy with the most to gain was Devin Booker, and he has gained it. Here he is. Okay, next category, first round, top shot, moment, award. This is the best individual moment of the first round. I'm very interested to see where you decide to go with this. So this is just the moment that just sticks out in my head the most. And it's a pass. It's a Jokic pass. It was the shot Mm. in the Mm. corner from Michael Porter Jr. But it's not only the pass. The pass was an outrageous just how did he even see him? But then also, do you recall him just walking off? Like he just looked over and it was like a walk-off assist. He threw it, he turned the other way, he knew it was going in, and he just just strolled away. And my what I want is for it to zoom in, you get to see the ball go to MPJ, you get to see the swish, and then it zooms back to Jokic just walking off. <laughs> just wandering off. Yes. <laughs> well, it just sticks out to me so much. That was a really cool play, and one of the coolest parts about it was that he had a cutter. Like, Aaron Gordon was cutting to the basket. Yep. Or Aaron Gordon, sorry. Everyone, including the Blazers, 
would obviously assume, oh, he's going to throw it to the cutter. That yep. would make sense. Mm-hmm. I was thinking that. And then for him to throw that pass, it like just collectively broke all of our brains <laughs> that he so could cool. do something like that. I know. <laughs> my, my Top Shot moment is very random, but this was like one of my favorite moments of the first round, and it was Emmanuel Quickly. Game one in MSG, that three-pointer he hit, it was a deep three-pointer. There were four minutes left in the first half. He shoots it and immediately runs back after shooting it. Yeah. Has a great reaction. The crowd's going insane. Spike Lee, they immediately cut Spike Lee, who's stomping around like a <laughs> child in a puddle. He was stomping around. And then you even get a cut to John Stewart and Tracy Morgan. Yeah. So if you could include all of that in a moment, I just that moment for me was like, oh wow, fans are back. Yes. Fans are back. It was I like the, it was my personal end of the pandemic. That shot. <laughs> it's like, oh my gosh, it finally feels normal again. That shot ended COVID right there. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So oh, that was my favorite. Love it. And none, neither of those plays are like, I mean, you could have chosen like the Chris Middleton game winner, you know, but I, yeah. I, I do feel like there's something about moments that just have like a vibe to them or like made you feel something. I think both of those moments did that. Yes. And you, it's not one where you can be like, man, I need to go back and rewatch some stuff. No, like it better be in your brain already. If it's not in your brain already, it doesn't matter. Yeah, exactly. Okay. Our next award and I would say this one is one of our most hotly contested awards, Andrew. Ooh. Best role player of the first round award. There were a lot of options here. And there were a lot of options from one particular team that I ended up going with. And for me, I chose Austin Rivers. Okay, I'm glad. We almost, the, I was getting so scared you are about to choose the same guy I chose. Okay, keep going. The Now, if you look at his stats, it's like, you know, whatever. He was... 11.5 points, two rebounds, two assists, 48% shooting, 48% from three, which is super impressive, and 83% from the line. And he had some games that were just whatever mixed in there, but he had the game three when he had 21 points with five three-pointers. He had the game five, that double overtime game, when he had 18 points with seven assists. He, just looking at this series from the beginning, when we were so worried about their perimeter players, mm-hmm. who is going to step up? And first off, one of the other guys I could have given this award to is Monty Morris. He had a great Shh. series as well. Shh. Oh, oh, sorry, 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 sorry. <laughs> but the other guy is Austin Rivers, and I gave it to him because, like, he they just got him off the scrap heap. Yeah, like he was on the Bucks a little while ago. I know, honestly. And we we thought he could have helped them. He could have. And I, and after seeing him in this series, and especially knowing now that Dante DiVincenzo is out yes. for round two, like Austin Rivers could have helped them too. Yep. The fact that he played forty six and forty minutes in a game five and six win against this Blazers team, I just think it was an awesome series from a guy that I wasn't really expecting that much from, and at the same time knew that he was going to have to deliver for the Nuggets to win, and he came through. And so I thought that was deserving of the role player of the first round award. Yeah, uh, as I shushed you on Monty Morris, that's my guy. Uh, 15 points, three boards, 5.8 assists per game, 41.7% from three. In the closeout game against the Blazers, he was 22, four, and nine, three of six from three. He was just big time. He just, he stepped up. He was steady. He doesn't turn the ball over. He can take ball handling duties from Jokic at times. Like he's, he's just the steady hand off the bench for this team. And frankly, I mean, everybody needed to step up on the Nuggets, and he absolutely needed to, and he did. So big, big shouts to Monte Morris. 
and it just gives you more confidence in the Nuggets going forward because, yeah. you know, hopefully they can get Will Barton for a second round series, have him play all the games and then have Monte Morris and Austin Rivers. Like, who knows? Like, we, we now know that Jokic is good enough to carry this team mm-hmm. through the playoffs. Mm-hmm. Um, okay, next award, I'm going to go to the Say What stat of the first round award, Andrew. This is the craziest stat in the first round. The stat that made you say, what? (laughs) So the offensive explosion that's happened this whole season, and it's translated over to the playoffs. So this is the first year that a team has averaged more than 120 points a game in the playoffs. Uh, And there's actually four teams doing it. And the thing that blew my mind the most is that the Nets are not leading the the NBA playoffs in scoring. It's the 76ers. That kind of blew my mind a little bit. Oh, really? Yeah. So the 76ers are 124 points per game. Nets are 123. Jazz are 123. And Nuggets are 120. And then you could even add one more. The Blazers were 119.5. But I did not count them because I just want to stay true to what this really is, over 120. So for a little bit of context, the 2016 Warriors – uh, only scored 107 points per game in the playoffs in 2016, which was thought to be like, this is like a monster offensive team. Uh, and then I just wanted to go back and see like 2004 playoffs. This is LeBron's first season. Here's LeBron's 18th season. What's what's the difference? The highest scoring team in the playoffs that year was 99.6 which was the New York Knicks. Wow. <laughs> and then uh, the lowest was 80, 80 points per game by the Pelicans. 80, which I guess would have been the Hornets back then, but 80, it was just so wild. Uh, and then this season, the Knicks is the lowest of all of these teams, which is 97, uh, which would have been one of the highest in 04. So just the offensive explosion, the amount of points that these teams are scoring – uh, is just outrageous, and it almost—I don't know—it it just looks strange. It's like steroid era of a uh, NBA offense. Oh, and just wait for this Nets Bucks series. I feel like that is going to be a one twenty, one twenty every single Probably game. Probably so. Yeah. Uh, my craziest stat is is very simple, Andrew. A week ago, when we recorded, Antoine Walker alone held the playoff record for most three-pointers made in a quarter with six. Yeah. Just a week ago. He had it all to himself. That is wild. Top of, top, it, is, it is wild. King of the hill. No one else competing with him. Now, a week later, he shares that record with three other guys, mm-hmm. being Damian Lillard, Michael Porter Jr., and Devin Booker. Yeah. For that to happen in a one-week period and honestly like a three-night period, it might have even been two nights, that was so wild to me that that completely changed because we're going to do trivia later and the trivia, the theme this week is playoff records. And so that is one of the ones that came up. I didn't make a trivia about it, just throwing it away for free here in the awards. <laughs> I also, I, I threw a bonus one in here. Now there's a really good explanation for this one, but it's just funny. Denver lost the Jokic minutes in the series against Portland. Interesting. They were Overall, they were a minus 10 in the Jokic minutes. Now, that is mostly based on that blowout game Yes, when he was a minus 32. Right. So there's an explanation, but it's just funny. Yeah, that is funny. Okay, our next award is a very fun one. The Who Invited You Award. This is the biggest disappointment you can choose a team or a player in the first round. Who did you choose? I chose LeBron James. 
Wh- wow. You who invited LeBron James? Who invited you, LeBron James? 23 points per game, seven boards, eight assists. Pretty good, but not superhuman. They needed a superhuman effort from LeBron. They didn't get it. Even in that final game, you just knew kind of early on, like, okay, LeBron doesn't got it. Like, he's not he's not going to win this game. Like, you could just tell by the body language. And does he does he know Space Jam is being released this summer in July? Did he expect to be able to watch it at home and be able to buy it on HBO now on his TV? Did he is that is that what he's going to do? Probably. That's true. Cuz he's going to be at home. Come on, man. And also this is similar to your Kawhi arguments from last week. Like LeBron, you put this team together. Like I I know Rob Palinka is going to take the fall for it, but man, you you probably handpicked most of these guys that are on the team. And oh well, like the did the, you see the yeah? Go did ahead. you watch or did you read the New Yorker article uh, with Rich Paul? Yes, because there was a very interesting quote in there when they were talking about the Lakers, and Rich Paul says something like, "I really think the Nets are our only real competition," mm-hmm. which is a weird thing for like an agent to be saying. And he our, said, "Well, yes. I've got." S- yeah, and, and Rich Paul basically said, like, well, I've got seven guys on the team, referring to the Lakers. And it's just so funny thinking about back to last year when we were talking about Rob Palinka. Wow, what an amazing job he did. Mm-hmm. And meanwhile, it's like, this is Rich Paul and LeBron's team. Yes, like, yes. So if you want to blame anybody, if you want to be mad about Andre Drummond or whoever else, like, be mad at LeBron. Good job, LeBron. You did this to yourself. Enjoy Space Jam. Enjoy Space Jam. By the way, did you see uh, Magic's tweet? No. Just not too long before we recorded. No. He said, GM Rob Palinka has a lot of work to do this summer because a lot of Lakers did not perform well during the series against the Phoenix Suns. <laughs> Let me explain to you why this is. <laughs> uh, I thought that was pretty great. Uh, my Who Invited You Award goes to the Miami Heat. And part of this is my own fault because we did our Slam and Jam episode like the second to last week of the regular season, and it happened to be our Heat episode. The Wheel of Fandom chose the Miami Heat, and what did they do that week? They beat the Celtics twice in a row to vault themselves from play-in competition to, like at that point, the fifth seed. And then they destroyed the Sixers completely healthy. Mm -hmm. Like Embiid played, Tobias Harris, Ben Simmons, they were all there, and the Heat absolutely destroyed them. And after that game, I was like on a Heat high. (laughs) You know, I was, too, I, was I was breathing they in that all heat the culture. They need. They can do this. <laughs> it was it was incredible. And honestly, if we had just waited one more day, because that Saturday, remember they played the Bucks, yeah. and that was the game where the Bucks could have lost and wouldn't have to face them, and instead they went out and beat them yep. handily. Yep. And maybe if I had seen that game and watched it a little bit more closely, I would have had different feelings. But going into the playoffs, even though they were playing the Bucks, I was still feeling good about the Heat. Mm-hmm. And then you had Jimmy Butler come out say he was stupidly locked in. He was so locked in, Andrew. It was <laughs> stupid. And then he goes out, puts up 14.5 points, 7.5 rebounds, 7 assists on 30-27-73 shooting splits. Mm-hmm. Like, I can't process it. Yeah. Like, J- Jimmy Butler was so good this year to the point where he had to be, kind of become this dark horse all NBA candidate where yeah. like the really smart guys, you know, the, the actually, really did you guys. know from the power yes. forward position that Jimmy Butler, you know, <laughs> yes, he was that guy. And so I was 
all bought into that. Mm -hmm. And to see him have that kind of a series. And then, of course, the immediate story that comes out afterwards is Jimmy Butler seeking a four-year, $181 million contract extension. They would take him through his age 36 season. And I saw an article did the math on this. He would be getting $50 million in his age 36 season. Beautiful. It's just a... It's been a 180 for me. Now, I'm still in on Jimmy Butler. I still think if you're the Heat, they're going to give him that contract extension. Yeah, yeah. But it really was an embarrassing series for that franchise. It was. And and Bam is to blame as well. And I thought it was really interesting in the, you know, kind of the exit interviews, Pat Riley just for whatever reason, decided to bring up that the Heat had spoke to Bam about the possibility of delaying his extension last November, which would have given the Heat 12 to 13 million more in cap space this summer. He said, we tried to convince him this could be different, but Bam wanted the extension and the Heat agreed because Riley said he deserved it. It was just a weird thing for Pat Riley to randomly drop immediately after this really bad series, yeah, you know? That's like huge eye roll from me on that one. Come on, dude. <laughs> Just like randomly throwing him under the bus for like no real reason. Like you already gave him the money. Like what are you gonna That's do? Ridiculous. Yeah, I'm sure Bam is super happy to hear about that. Uh, okay, we got. Uh, we'll do a couple more. This one, I, I have a feeling we might have the same guy. The U-turn award. Mm-hmm. This is the player whose first round performance, good or bad, has most changed our overall opinion of that player. For this, I chose campaign, mm. and. You know, I we've talked about campaign before on Saturday Slam and Jam. And if I've ever said anything nice about him, just know in the back of my head, I was doubting him. Mm-hmm. I was doubting him. Because you kind of do this thing with players who you still doubt, but you can't really deny it. You'll just go like, oh, he's been good. Yeah, yeah he's been good. He's been, good. <laughs> he's been really good. But what I was really thinking was, okay, he's been good, but can you really trust campaign in the playoffs? Like, mm-hmm. come on. Mm-hmm. Like, are you really going to trust him? <laughs> Meanwhile, he goes out 13-3-3, shot 42% from three. And again, with Devin Booker, same thing. Chris Paul was significantly limited in this series. Did you know that campaign in the regular season only played more than 23 minutes eight times? Wow. He did that four times in this series. Wow. He he gave them a lot of stability on that second unit. And we were worried about that second unit going into this Lakers series against that big Lakers lineup. So for him to come out and do this in the playoffs when he not just like it would be nice if he did it, like they actually needed campaign. I just thought that was a huge moment for me personally in finally believing in campaign. Yes, he had the regular or the great regular season, but seeing him do it in the playoffs is the thing that kind of took me over the edge with him. Yeah, Cam, I mean we we saw all of Cam's early career and he wasn't he wasn't great. A lot of it was due to injury, but good for him on changing kind of his whole mentality really, you know, coming back and having to be humbled. It's great. Uh I chose DeAndre Ayton. And it's I was hoping you would, Andrew. <laughs> I just needed to see it, man. I just really did. He and he kind of goes in and out during the regular season with and it's and it's not really even stats because his stats aren't like that different from the regular season right but it's the just effort hustle and just getting his size into the game because he's one of the bigger stronger guys in the nba like can he use his size enough in the league and the lakers were the perfect test for him right like you have these big uh, you have a variety of big guys to play against and he was the best big man on the floor the entire series. Now, do things look different if Anthony Davis is healthy? 
probably so, but he wasn't healthy, and the Lakers could not really respond to what DeAndre brought on a night-to-night basis. So I didn't I was not a huge believer, I'll be honest. I was not a huge believer in DeAndre Ayton and what he could do in the playoffs. But now, and especially against a team like the Nuggets that they have to go against in round two, like this is great momentum. That is a great team for him to get kind of those playoff, you know, those first playoff minutes against. It's the perfect team because now I feel like he can go into the second round and the, and the Suns can go into the second round feeling really confident about what they have in him. And I think he'll have to play big minutes if they're going to beat the Nuggets. Yeah, and the thing before that series that I was worried about is, like, he only averaged 30 minutes per game in the regular season. Like, mm-hmm. is he going to be able to stay on the floor? The first four games of that series, 36 minutes, 42 minutes, 41 minutes, 38 minutes. Mm-hmm. Like, he just absolutely blew me away with mm-hmm. everything that he did. And I think he shot, like, 80% from the field he in did. that series. Yeah, I think he was 3 of 4 in the final game, and that was his, like... <laughs> That was he was down was his on his field goal percentage. Yeah, yeah it's so wild. <laughs> yeah, he was awesome. Suns as a whole, congratulations. Yeah, really proved something. Yeah. Um. All right, another award. I can't do this again. Award. This is going to go to the first round performance that will have the biggest impact on that team's off season. And you know, a lot of people will say the Celtics, but honestly, I don't think that first round series was going to change what happened either way. Yeah. Whereas I do think what happened last night, Thursday night, in Portland against that Nuggets team is going to significantly change what the Portland Trailblazers look like next season. And mm-hmm. we already are seeing it. Obviously, you had the Dame Instagram post. Mm-hmm. He captioned it with a Nipsey Hustle quote, how long should I stay dedicated? How long till opportunity meet preparation? And then you had the post-game quotes from Yusuf Nurkic, yeah. of all people, who said, I don't know what I need to do. I've got a non-guaranteed contract. I don't know if I'm even going to be back. I'm going to leave that to Rich Paul, my agent. We'll see what happens. Great. And then he said, at the beginning of the year, I wish my role was bigger. I think I could help even more. But like I said, I was respectful and tried to do what they asked of me. Do I want to be back? Yes. But it has to be in the right situation. I don't know what that is yet because this is not it. As a reminder, Yusuf Nurkic has played 45 of a possible 146 regular season games over the last two years. This season, he only played their first 12 games and then was out until March 26. Mm-hmm. Just seems a little ridiculous, I would say, for Nurk to be bringing, talking like this. It is. Uh, he also changed to Rich Paul like not that long ago for this very moment in time. So... Yeah, and they are just a prime blow-up candidate. We we talked about CJ McCollum in the past, but what do you as do? Like, what do you do? We went we went through trade scenarios, and every single one, I'm like, eh, like that is, does that make them better? Like, probably not. You know, like, what do you do? I, I'm zeroing in on the uh, on Miles Turner because, <sighs> yeah, I I do think that would make a difference, and this lets you find a way to get off of Nurkic. He's only. Guaranteed four million for next season, but I think there's probably a team out there who would want to trade for Nurk on an expiring twelve million dollar contract. Mm-hmm. You do have the player options for Norm Powell, and I do think they found something with Norm Powell. I think Norm Powell fits next to Dame really well, mm-hmm. and so if you move CJ McCollum, you don't necessarily have to bring a guard back because yeah. you try to resign Norm. Well, you have to resign <laughs> Norm Powell, yeah. and he's your starting two. Anthony Simons, who I think was good in this series, he's your new six man coming yeah. in next year. And you just got to get – you can't come back with Carmelo and Ennis Cantor 
coming off your bench. You can't. You cannot do it. No, you can't. I would if I'm the Blazers. I'm looking for somebody from any position. I even think, and I don't think you could get him from the Hornets, um, but even like a Gordon Hayward uh, would really help them. Like they need somebody that can kind of help set the table, that can make that extra pass, because they really just have a ton of shot makers, right? Like they don't have anybody yeah. to set the table for them. Dame is not really that. CJ is not that. Uh, and then like you talk about like Mello and Simons and Cantor, like those are just like, those are bucket getters and they just have a bunch of bucket getters. They need, they need somebody that can help facilitate a little bit. Well, and this goes back to the decision to send two first round picks for Robert Covington last summer yeah. instead of waiting and potentially making a similar deal for Aaron Gordon. Mm-hmm. Because you look at that Portland team, like Aaron Gordon, in the same way that he fit seamlessly in Denver, I think he would have fit seamlessly in Portland. Yes. And he can do that a so, little bit. Like, he can set the table a little bit. He's not like somebody you little. rely on, but he's, a, he's at least better than Covington. So, was there any other team that you wanted to nominate that was, for this no, award? I mean, that that is okay. the team. Yeah. It is the team. Um, although, depending on what happens tonight, Andrew. Nothing's happening tonight, man. Nothing's happening tonight. Clippers are winning game <laughs> seven, baby. Let's go into game seven. All right, our final award, first round MVP. The MVP of the first round. Who did you go with, Andrew? I picked Nikola Jokic. I did as well. Dang it! I really thought that I, that you weren't going to do that. I think, I mean, it's easy to look and be like, oh, it's Luka Doncic, you know? Even, like, you could be like, you could do, like, the, the weird thing where it's like, oh, I picked somebody in a loss, and it's Damian Lillard. He was so valuable to the Blazers, you know? Right, right, right. Oh, but, no. It's, it's Jokic. What he did with that team, 33, 10, and 4.5 assists, here's the, here's the top eight guys that played with him. Michael Porter Jr., 35 minutes. Austin Rivers, 33 minutes. Aaron Gordon, 30 minutes. Monty Morris, 29. Facundo Campazzo, 27 minutes. 27 minutes per game. Jamichael Green, 19. Marcus Howard, who I was introduced to, 15 minutes per game. And then Paul Millsap, 13. Like, that's who he did it with. He beat the Blazers, who were mostly healthy. And, and the Blazers, like, don't don't forget, the Blazers had a great run heading into the playoffs. Yeah. Absolutely. And played so, so well. And it felt like they were hitting their stride. You had all these injuries. You could even, I mean, you could go back to this point of last year and say Jamal Murray is the MVP of the first round, right? He had those 250-point games. He drugged yeah. the Nuggets and, you know, back from down 3-1. You could have said that it was Jamal Murray. But Jamal Murray isn't even playing and they're still winning. Like to me, it's just such, that is such a huge deal. And I feel like it's gone under the radar some for whatever reason. But the fact that they just kept winning is just something, it's just really something else. And that game five of the Blazers, uh, the Blazers game five where Dame is making all those crazy shots and like nobody else on the Blazers can do anything. It's just funny how the thing that went under the radar after that game is that the Nuggets actually won because the next day the story was Damian Lillard is outrageous and he has no help. And no one really, and like, I'm like, hey, the Nuggets won that game. (laughs) They won this incredible game and like no one's talking about it. Yeah, and the, the most impressive thing to me was the adjustment Jokic made, which he had to make to become more of a scorer. 
So he scored 34 or more points in five of those six games. Yeah. He only he only did that in the regular season 14 times. Yeah. So he really became much more of a scorer. The only bad game he had was that game four where the Blazers just came out and were hitting everything. He only had 16 and nine. He was mm-hmm. That was the game he was a minus 32. Every other game, just putting up insane stats. And we talked about going into the series, who's the player with the most to gain or the most to lose? And we picked Jokic yep. because it was like, you don't, even though like it's probably a stupid thing, media constructed narrative, you still don't want to be the MVP who loses in the first round. No, it's it's not the coolest thing in the world. And so he not and he was it was at risk of that because he had this depleted team. So for him to come in, beat an almost fully healthy team. I mean, we keep saying almost fully. We're talking about Zach Collins. That's the only person who was really out. <laughs> right, and and, and the they Blazers. haven't been counting on him for years. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, they were healthy. To beat that team, beat them in six games, beat them the way they did, coming back in that game six, yep. just super impressive. And he obviously, at this point, you have to believe he can be the best player on a championship team. Whether it happens this year, probably not, but in future years, like I absolutely believe he can be that player. Without a doubt. And the and also, like next season, and maybe, even, maybe it's even in future seasons, but if they can keep that team together, they will make a title run. Like MPJ has shown that he is that guy. And Jamal Murray has shown that he is that guy. And put those two with Jokic and like fill out these other positions and get people healthy. I, I, I truly believe that the Nuggets are going to have a, sh- a real shot at a title in the next few years. I agree. All right, Andrew, it is now time to celebrate some birthdays. Blow out the candles, get your cake, and eat it too. It's the birthday bash. It's your birthday. Somebody in here, it's your birthday. It's your birthday. Somebody in here, it's your birthday. It's your birthday. Everybody move like it's your birthday. You're going to read a review later of someone from South Africa who said that they love the birthday part, and we hadn't done it for a few weeks, so I'm bringing it back. <laughs> I got five comparisons for you. I'm going to give you two different guys who had birthdays this week. You're going to tell me which guy is younger. And I will warn you ahead of time, one of them... It is the same age. They are the same age. Okay. I forewarned you. Okay. Okay. First one, Jeremy Lamb, Otto Porter. Jeremy Lamb is older. That is correct. Jeremy turned 29 this week. Otto Porter turning 28. What about Nate Robinson, Anthony Tolliver? Are they the same age? They are not. Nate Robinson is 37 this week. Anthony Tolliver, 36. Okay. Next one, D'Anthony Melton, Markel Fultz. They're the same age. They are the same age, both yes. turning 23 this week. Next, we have Al Horford, Nick Young. Al Horford's older. He is not. Al Horford turning 35 this week, Nick Young turning 36. <sighs> and finally, one of your favorite players of all time, Andrew. Hmm. Earl Boinkins, mm. Zadrunas Ilgowskis. Ooh, that's a weird one. That's a weird size one. I actually own a Nuggets Earl Boinkins jersey. <laughs> yes, you do. <laughs> I do. Oh, my goodness. Uh, I'll say Earl is older. Andrew, that is incorrect. No. Earl Boinkins turning 45 this week. 45. Big Z turning 46. So only got two out of five this week. Ouch. A sad Ouch. return to the birthday game. 
<laughs> oh no. Right after this break, we are gonna talk some Celtics. We didn't talk about them earlier, but it's it's some juicy, juicy content with my guy Jared Weiss. You'll hear that right after this break. Building a portfolio with Fidelity Basket Portfolios is kind of like making a sandwich. It's as simple as picking your stocks and ETFs, sort of like your meats and other topics, and managing it as one big, juicy investment. Mmm, now that's pretty good. Learn more at Fidelity.com baskets. Investing involves risk, including risk of loss. Fidelity Brokerage Services, LLC. Member NYSC SIPC. And we're back from that quick break. And we have with us my guy, Jared Weiss of The Athletic. Jared, what's up, man? That was a quick break. I'm very impressed with how quick that was. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> uh, Jared, some, some big bombs were dropped on the Celtics community this week. So much shifting of the front office. And you have Danny Ainge, longtime president of basketball ops, leaving the team. Uh, you know, during the season, the frustration among Celtics fans grew louder and louder as the season went on. And I can assume that most Celtics fans were hoping for a major shakeup this offseason. Uh, the first moves from the Celtics have been so dramatic, though. I'm wondering how Celtics fans are reacting to these initial changes. Uh, is the dominant emotion for Celtics fans like excitement, confusion, panic? Like, where are we at? It's a good question. If the Celtics lost Game 7 of the Finals on a buzzer beater, they would still be calling for changes to the front office coaching staff. That's how it is. (laughs) And I'm sure there were when they lost that Game 7 10 years ago or 11 years ago. There is, I think, a sense of excitement that's a little bit tempered in that most people, I think, had their ire pointed at Brad Stevens this year because the product on the floor was just so discombobulated and listless so much of the time. I mean, they alternated between fantastic team that looked like it was finally turning the corner to absolutely disappointing team in a way that the 1819 team did to a degree, but that team generally was playing at a much higher level, which I guess makes sense. They were a much more loaded roster. This team was kind of hopeless for most of the season, except for a few stretches. And so I think there was just this, this sense of despondency within the fan base that, I mean, they were, they were looking for, they wanted the season to end early. They were basically rooting for the team to get swept just so they could get past the season and start moving towards the off season. And this is the, this is real moving on. This is not, let's see what happens. We know that there is some sort of massive change that's already happened. And that means that there's probably going to be some significant change ahead. But so I, I think the caveat is that one, I think it's a shame that Danny Ainge, a lot of people are happy to see him go because there's just been a lot of negative stuff around him as of late. But the dude's a legend. The guy yeah. is one of the all-time Celtics legends. And he's done so much for this franchise. And... I think he's a much a much different person privately than he is publicly. And so the people that are around him, you know, revere him like a true icon, which I think is totally what he how he should be remembered, but people these days they, their memory lasts about 30 seconds. I can't even remember uh, what the intro was of the show. And so that I think created a sense of relief that maybe there probably shouldn't have been, frankly. But then if you were in the camp that you wanted to see Brad Stevens gone, which was you probably overreacting if you're one of those people, which mm-hmm. I'm looking at you, Andrew, as I say the word you, <laughs> but uh, they, no, I was kidding. But 
I'm sure they're probably freaking out right now that now Brad Stevens has even more control over the team. But I, I think Brad Stevens, it's a, it's a, if you're going to take a big gamble, that's a, he's the guy that you want to take a gamble on. That's for sure. So thinking ahead now to this summer, the names that are most commonly brought up as trade candidates are Marcus Smart and Kemba Walker. Obviously, Smart seems like the more likely candidate. But in trying to come up with trades, it's been difficult for me to come up with ones where the Celtics get back a player of equal or better value. So first, have you heard? Yeah. So have you heard any solid fake Marcus Smart trade ideas? And then more generally, what types of players in terms of position or skill skill set do you think the Celtics will be targeting in trades this summer? Well, it's funny because at the deadline, Amick and I, Sam Amick and I, reported on some actual possibility uh, possibilities that they were exploring, but they aren't feasible anymore. It was Aaron Gordon who I mm. think this team would have done tremendously with, as I think Denver has really, uh, really made the most out of him. Sacramento for Harrison Barnes, I mean, that there was that possibility. Obviously, that's not going to be happening in all likelihood now. So, it's it's so hard to see it. It's got to be. This is ironic. A team that has some really good young players that they want to send for a veteran like Marcus Smart. I think that's why Atlanta was such was one of those teams that there was the most noise about them making a deal because Atlanta at the time badly needed a player like that. They needed a defensive leader, a versatile guard that could obviously take the pressure off of Trey Young to play defense in the playoffs. And Atlanta's great right now, but I wonder if they'd actually be better with Smart out there. So, you know, maybe that's still a possibility because Atlanta's probably going to have to do some consolidation this offseason to a degree. Maybe they kick the, kick it down the road again. It's possible. So there will pro- there will be a market for Marcus Smart if they do want to move on from him. I just I don't think taking Smart out of the equation is something that they have to do. It's a matter that it's really their only avenue to try to reshape the team in a positive direction right away, as opposed to having to take a step back which right. is probably the more likely route for them. I think it's either they're going to take a slight step back and then retool for the season after that, or they're going to find a way to take a massive leap forward. Yeah, I've almost found some of the fake Kemba Walker trades to be more feasible, <laughs> like more realistic, like the the idea of the Al Horford trade or like bringing up a Porzingis swap. Like those actually seem like more realistic to me than some of the Marcus Smart ideas that are out there. I- I, mean, I think a Porzingis trade would be unbelievable, right? That's something you would do in a heartbeat. I wonder if that's something Dallas would do in a heartbeat, frankly. But Porzingis would be the absolutely amazing fit for this team. And I think it, so Porzingis, I feel like there's a bigger risk of him just being unavailable. While Walker, the issue was mostly that he was playing most of the season below his level. I think they would almost rather take the risk of KP just not being available than continuing to ride the wave of Kemba performing below level because they have enough young talent behind that that they could at least make up for his absence, but the upshot is just so high. And frankly, Rob Williams is someone who, as exciting a player as he is, he's been banged up over and over and over again, and there are some durability concerns there. Yeah. So you mentioned some of the young guys that are on this team. I'm just curious, just in your own mind, how you would rank the the young Celtics players on this team. Like who who would you have as the best guys? So Peyton Pritchard, Neesmith, Robert Williams, Romeo Langford, uh, Grant Williams, Carson Edwards. All <laughs> uh, respect to Carson, but I mean the guy hasn't set the rotation yet or even minutes yet at this point. So <laughs> I, I'm not going to put him on on the list. But, oh, by the way, uh, just talking about big names that could be out there. Damian Lillard is someone whose name keeps popping up. 
I actually just saw on my Twitter, there's like a tweet going viral claiming that I reported that the Celtics are looking to trade Damian <laughs> Lillard and that he asked out of Portland. Wow. No, I didn't. <laughs> I did not report that. That's not real. Wow. Uh, maybe it's true, but I didn't report it. Uh, I, I will have to make some phone calls later today to see if that actually is true. But uh, it's funny because like, I mean, maybe even just CJ McCollum could potentially be available for sure. uh, out of Portland that would, either of those guys I think would be amazing for the Celtics especially if they could find a way to give them Kemba or give somebody Kemba and send a bunch of draft picks for those guys that would mm-hmm. be great so I, I definitely would recommend GM Brad Stevens makes uh, makes that move but so as far as ranking the young guys Rob Williams is clearly in his own tier I mean Rob mm-hmm. Williams is has pretty serious good starter potential he's he's really he's a really fascinating talent he everyone knows that he's a super athletic lob threat he's a uh, great shot blocker he could block shots on the perimeter which is extremely rare but he also is an amazing passer and he's also an incredible hustler he's he's like a like i think he's actually six eight but he plays like a seven footer essentially he's, mm-hmm. he's a center and he dives for for loose balls more than like any center in the league that I could think of. He he loves hustling, and then he dives for loose balls, and then spins and rifles cross court passes on the money in a way that like LeBron and Luca are like the only guys I could think of that could really do that kind of stuff. So he's just such a unique type of rim roll anchor big that he's kind of in his own tier. And then Romeo Langford and Aaron Neesmith have had some really nice flashes. They have a few unique components of their game. So, you know, Neesmith is that traditional off-ball shooting guard, but he can attack off the dribble really nicely and also has shown some really impressive help defensive skill and athleticism on that end and great rebounding as well. He's really kind of just a much more robust version of Shemi Ojale, who I assume they're probably going to move on from this year. And then Langford he has some ball handling ability. He's actually been a pretty decent spot up shooter so far. He's, he's a really good on board uh, point of attack defender. And he's a really good low man rotation defender. He actually has gotten a lot of great stops at the rim, rotating in from the weak side. So both of them, their, their games are more dynamic than they seem on, uh, at first blush. And that makes me think that they probably could turn into solid starting players or really good, you know, six men types. So I think they're on that, that second tier, Peyton Pritchard is probably right below that. Uh, he's just he's a little limited in his dy- dynamism compared to those guys, but he's pretty solid. He's obviously a smart and incredibly tough-nosed player. Grant Williams is probably just below that because he's also a smart, tough-nosed player, but he just struggles yeah. on the ball so much. He like kind of turns it over whenever he tries to attack, stuff like that. His uh, He's still learning how to play as an undersized center, but I do think there's a lot of potential there for him to be a PGA P.J. Tucker type, which is kind of his mm-hmm. his role model in the NBA. And then Carson Edwards and Tremont Waters. I mean, they could do some nice stuff, but not very much in the NBA. And it looks like they're probably not going to be able to crack through. Mm-hmm. Well, thank you so much, Jared, for answering all of our Celtics questions. But now we are going to test your NBA trivia knowledge in Andrew versus the Beat. Now, this is a very special edition of Andrew versus the Beat because Andrew is on a winning streak. He is 1-0 in the last week. If this was the first episode of Saturday Slam and Jam, he would be undefeated. Unfortunately, it's not. He's 1-11-1. But let's see if he can make it two in a row. Now, this week, the theme is Playoff Records Edition. This is in honor of Dame hitting a playoff record 12-3 in Game 5 against the Denver Nuggets. So all the questions will be uh, related to records in the playoffs. Now, how this works, there are eight questions. Jared, you will go first. You'll pick a number between one and eight. If you get it right, you'll get two points. If you get it wrong, Andrew will have a chance to steal for one point. 
We'll go back and forth until all the questions have been asked and answered. So where would you like to start? I need a number between one and eight. 6.3. 6.3. Would you like to go with six? Oh, yeah. You got to round out. Didn't you go to ma- oh, that's right, uh, math that's school, right. I almost you know said? <laughs> Didn't you go to math school, bro? <laughs> that was actually a thing in the town where I grew up. There was a Russian math school. I was not smart enough to get it, believe it or not. That's why I'm a journalist now. Okay. Now, th- this is, and I will warn the listeners right now that this is one of the hardest weeks of trivia we've ever had. Okay. Number six, Damian Lillard's 55 points against the Nuggets in Game 5 was tied for the seventh most points in a playoff game in NBA history. While it may seem unique to score 50-plus points in a playoff game and lose, it's actually happened four times in the past four playoffs. So to get the two points, I need you to give me the name of one of the other players who did this. But in addition, I also need you to give me the year, the round of the playoffs, the game, and the opponent when it happened. So scoring 50 points in a playoff game and losing happened four times in the last four playoffs. Did Jamal Murray do it uh, lose that game against the Jazz last year? I'm going to go so, with that. So that is a name, but I need you. Okay, you, you said last year, so that's 2020. Oh, so you first got that. rounds of first last round. year. Okay, you got that. And who was the opponent? Utah Jazz. So to get the two points, you have to tell me what game it occurred in. Oh, man. Six? That is incorrect. Yeah. (laughs) You got very close. Now, Andrew, you could stick with that line of reasoning. Who knows? Jamal Murray may be right, may be wrong. Or you could pick a totally different example and give me all the same information. I think I remember Mitchell doing it. In the same series, so round oh, one, 2020. Okay. okay. And who was his opponent? The Denver Nuggets. <laughs> Correct. <laughs> I was right between going with Mitchell or Murray, so clearly I picked I the wrong one. And what game was it, Andrew? Gosh, I don't know, man. Game one. Just a, I have no idea. What was that? What was that? Game one. Game one. Game one. Was it game, game seven? Actually, it was game one. Andrew, you got that correct. Wow. <laughs> Holy crap. Now, the entire reason why I asked that question and made you give all the details was because was I thought one of the examples was so obvious that you would get it, which was LeBron, 2018, finals, game one against the Warriors, the J.R. Smith game. <laughs> yeah. The, it was like the best game in NBA history. Yeah, I kind of forgot about that one. And then the other one was uh, Russell Westbrook, 2017, first round, game two against the Rockets. Me and Andrew remember that one. Yep. Okay. So, one question down. Andrew, you're already on the board. Another question. Uh, number one. Number one. Here we go. Another question about Damian Lillard. Damian Lillard hit a playoff record 12 threes in game five against the Denver Nuggets, surpassing Clay Thompson's infamous game six against the Thunder in 2016 when he hit 11 threes, and Dame's own game five also against the Thunder in 2019 when he hit 10 threes. I'm sensing a theme. Now, there were seven players other than Dame and Clay who have hit nine threes in a playoff game, we're going to try to name them all. So, Andrew, you're going to give me a name of someone who has hit nine threes in a playoff game. Then we'll go to Jared. We'll go back and forth. Pretty easy, you know? Just nine threes in a game. You remember those games, right? <laughs> you just And there's seven guys. You just can't give me Dame or Clay. Those are the other two names. But there's seven yeah. other guys. 
Kevin Durant. Kevin Durant, Andrew. Andrew, oh no, starting off with an L. That means that Jared could win. All he has to do is tell me one player other than Damon Clay who have hit nine threes in a playoff game. Wardle Stephen Curry? That is a great guess. He did it twice. Yes, Steph Curry. Now, Andrew, two of the other names, we've already talked about them. Jamal Murray, Donovan Mitchell. Hmm. Then some of the older names, which would have been tougher, Jason Terry. Can I try guessing a couple? Oh, yeah, sure. You want to throw some? Ray Allen did it once, I believe. He did it twice. Twice, okay. He did it in the 2001 Eastern Conference Finals against the Sixers, and then in that 2009 crazy first-round series against the Bulls. Did Booby Gibson do it? Uh, Booby did not. He did do something, though, because that's a good guess. He has some sort of three-point shooting record from one of those games in 07. Yes. Yeah. Uh, the other um, one was also against the Sixers in that same year that Ray Allen did it. It was Vince Carter, 2001, Vince round Carter. two. And mm. then the other one, big on Twitter, Rex Chapman did it, 1997, <laughs> wow. round one, game one against the, the Sonics. King. Yeah, or video I don't know why I, I say Ke- like Kevin is such a weird guy in like record history because he's a guy that should be in all of these, but is <laughs> like never there. never in them. <laughs> yeah. Okay, so we have a tie game. Back to Jared. Uh, four. Question number four. Two active players, LeBron James and this player, are in the top ten all time for most career assists in the NBA playoffs. Two active players, LeBron James and this player. Uh, Chris Paul? That is incorrect. Andrew, Mm. you have a chance to steal. Russell Westbrook? Russell Westbrook. That is also incorrect. Mm. You guys got the... uh, If LeBron was number one, you got the third and fourth ranked guys, Chris Paul and Russell Westbrook. Number two... Rajon Rondo. Oh. And not particularly close. He has over 1,100 assists. Chris Paul is next at 936. Wow. So no points awarded there. And we are you back to Andrew. Rondo. Makes sense. Uh, seven. Number seven. In game four against the Sixers this year, Russell Westbrook had 21 rebounds, which is tied for 42nd all-time in a playoff game. Now, 42nd doesn't seem that (laughs) impressive, but he was a lot closer to the record than it sounds. Only five more rebounds, and he would have been tied for the all-time record of 26, which is held by Hakeem Olajuwon, Dwight Howard, and this role player who had 26 rebounds against LeBron's Cavs and who, after the playoffs, signed a four-year, $70 million deal. Let's see. A lot of pressure, because I think that Jared knows it. He, he said he does. He's got a big smile um. on his face, Andrew. <laughs> <laughs> this is the best podcast I've ever been a part of. <laughs> Most of the podcast is just me trying to torture Andrew. <laughs> oh, I love it. That's why, that's why I, shine, I signed up for this. Yeah. I don't know. I can't. Think All right, of Jared, tell us who it was. Well, you know, I thought I knew who it was, and oh, then no. when he said the contract part, that made it pretty clear. That's Charlotte Hornets legend Bismack Biombo. That is correct. He did it with the Toronto Raptors before signing that huge deal. <laughs> I'll never forget that series. <laughs> oh yeah. All right, so Jared is now up two to one, and he has control of the board. Ooh, uh, number eight. Number eight. 
The all-time playoff leader for highest PER in a single playoff run is Elijah Wan, who had a PER of 38.96 in the 1988 playoffs. What player in the 2021 playoffs put up a 34.58 PER in the first round, which would be good enough for third all-time? Kevin Durant? That is incorrect. Andrew, you have a chance to steal. Who had a PER of 34.85 in the first round this year? Would be good for third all-time. Jokic. Nikola Jokic. Andrew, that's a great guess. He was the MVP. He won our first-round MVP award, but it is unfortunately (laughs) incorrect. It was... Brooklyn Nets star, James Harden. Okay, Andrew, the board is yours. You're only down by one. Number two. Number two. Number two. Three questions left. In this year's first round series against the Suns, Anthony Davis made 18 free throws in game two. That is only six less than the all-time playoff record of 24 made free throws in a game, which was set by this future Hall of Famer, in a Western Conference Finals game during a championship run. Is this Dirk? Damn it. That is correct. As I, w- as I was saying it out loud, I was like, I feel like I gave a little too much clues there. A little too <laughs> many saw clues. that series, yeah. <laughs> I only yeah. knew that one because Tatum went 17 for 17 twice in a week. I had to look it up and saw Dirk went 24 oh, really? for 24, <laughs> which is mind-blowing. So killer. Um, okay, so it is now three to two. Andrew is in the lead, but Jared, you have control of the board. There are two questions left. Uh, Trace. Trace. On Thursday night, LeBron played in his 266th playoff game, the most ever in NBA history. Who has played the second most playoff games in NBA history with 259? Kareem? Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. That is incorrect. Andrew, the chance to steal and take a commanding 4-2 to two lead, which would lock you in for the win, Andrew. <laughs> kind of. Actually, the last question's a little different. So maybe not, but still. <laughs> oh, Lord. Carl Malone? I don't know. Carl Malone. What a guess. Andrew, you should have gotten this one because I actually reused this question from one of our down-to-dunk oh, trivia nights. It's a fun name. A lot of people would have thrown out maybe Tim Duncan, who is third all time. But it yeah. happens so to Derek be Fisher? Derek Fisher. Damn, that, that was my second guess. Okay, Damn Andrew. Fisher. Last question. Uh, if you legend. get this right, Andrew, you will now be on a streak of two weeks in a row, commanding okay. five to two lead. However, if you get it wrong, Jared could win the whole week because this question's interesting. In game one of the first round series against the Nets, Robert Time Lord Williams totaled nine blocks which in a game, which was one off of the all-time playoff record of 10, which is shared by these three players. Now, I'm going to give you one point per correct name. That is okay. all I'm giving you. So if you can name one guy who had 10 blocks in a playoff game, you basically have won. Just have to um, give me one name. Well, unfortunately, this guy died this week, and I was reading an article about him, Mark Eaton. Wow, that is absolutely true. R.I.P. Mark Eaton did it in 1985, first round, wow. game four against the Jazz. Andrew, that's a point. Now, Andrew, can you name anyone else to get any other points? Even if you can't, I'm going to go to Jared and see if he can get the last two. Okay. So just throw out a name. 
You're pretty safe right now, but Jared could still I mean, tie. probably Hakeem. Andrew, that is absolutely correct. <laughs> wow. Two out of three. He did it in 1990. First round game two against the Lakers. Andrew, can you make it a clean sweep? Who was the other player who recorded 10 blocks in a single playoff game? Serge? Serge Ibaka? No, that's not right. Jared, would you like to guess? I'll throw a point your way if you get it right. Doesn't matter, but it might make you feel good. I don't know why, I don't know why I'm thinking Andrew Bynum. Oh, yes! You got it! Andrew oh, Bynum! Andrew Bynum! <laughs> yes! <laughs> 2012, first round, game one against the Nuggets. What a finish. Now, it wasn't enough for the win, but what a way to end it. Andrew, oh, I'll take I'll take that loss, absolutely. Andrew, two weeks in a row, you're on fire. Impressive, <laughs> Impressive. stuff. Oh, I cannot believe it. Jared, thanks so much for coming on the show. Be sure to read all of Jared's stuff. Lots of juicy content out there by Jared Weiss on The Athletic. Worth a subscription. Jared, thanks for coming on the show. Shout out Andrew Bynum. Big shouts to Jared for joining the show. Before we get out of here, Alex, I'm going to read some five-star reviews that were left on Apple Podcasts. Yes. If you want your review read, please leave one. I'll see it. doesn't matter what country you're in. So a lot of people leave reviews, and, and maybe if you're not in the United States, maybe yours don't get read, but it definitely happens here on Saturday Slam and Jam. We happen to have two that are not from the U.S. This first one comes from at Chris Fagee. He's a Celtics fan in the Netherlands. He says, I love the Saturday Slam and Jam. It really embodies that Saturday feeling where you're free to spend time on stuff you enjoy. Like the NBA. No pressure. Just do yourself. Do it yourself with the athletic NBA show on in the background. Love it. Thank you so much, Chris. This next one. So glad to see Andrew get his first win on trivia. It's fun to see him demolish the competition on Down to Dunk's excellent trivia episodes and then get out through the ringer against the beat writers on trivia about their teams. Always fun to see the massive difference in NBA depth between Slam and Jam versus the Fry Pod on DTD <laughs> as well. Ha ha. <laughs> so big shouts to Slam and Jam. <laughs> And a big slam to the fry pod on Down to Dunk. <laughs> and then uh, this next one is from South Africa, actually. Uh, Saturday, The Saturday Slam Jam has me hooked. A really big fan from South Africa. Love the birthday game and the Wheel of Fandom is podcasting genius. Great way to start my Saturday. Good work, Andrew and Alex. Fire emojis. Thanks so much for those reviews. If you, again, if you want to have your review read on the pod, just leave one and we'll definitely see it. I uh, hope you guys enjoy the weekend. Enjoy this, this first round or the second round game of Nets Bucks tonight. I really cannot wait to watch that game. So enjoy that. And also, if you like what Alex and I bring to the Saturday Slam and Jam. You can also listen to us every Wednesday on Down to Dunk. It's a Thunder podcast. So if you're interested in that as well, go check it out. Enjoy the rest of your day and we'll talk to you guys again next week.